Welcome to Tomorrow's World. It is estimated that one-fourth of the Bible is prophetic in nature, devoted to foretelling the future. Why is it then that we hear so little about Bible prophecy? Is it because it is vague and impossible to understand? Admittedly, there are portions that are difficult, but there are also large portions that you can understand, and they are relevant to your very life. Wouldn't you like to know what is ahead in your world? Today I'm going to turn to a book in the Bible that is filled with prophecy. And you may be surprised to learn that it tells us things that are just about ready to happen in our world today. Not little out of the way events, but events that are going to turn our world upside down. We're going to look at a dream an ancient king had and read what the God of the Bible tells us is its interpretation. Major parts of this dream have already come true, just as the Bible predicted. But other parts have yet to be fulfilled. Even now, the stage is being set for their fulfillment. So are you ready to look into your future? Are you ready to be the first in your neighborhood to see from the pages of the Bible what to expect in the next few years? Stay tuned and get ready for a most exciting lesson in Bible prophecy as we explore King Nebuchadnezzar's dream in the book of Daniel. Welcome again to Tomorrow's World, where we are going to look into some of the most exciting pages of the book known as the Bible. Daniel was born sometime in the late 7th century, about 70 years before Confucius, but he lived long enough to be a contemporary with him. It was a turbulent time in the area that we today call the Middle East. The Babylonian Empire, also known as the Chaldean Empire, had overthrown the powerful Assyrians, and it was consolidating its gains along the eastern Mediterranean Sea. Daniel, a young Jew, was taken into captivity to Babylon. Along with three other Jewish lads, they so impressed their captors that they were chosen to become advisors to King Nebuchadnezzar. Students of the Bible are familiar with some of the stories that come from the pages of the book of Daniel. Children who grow up in professing Christian homes know about Daniel being thrown into the lion's den and how God saved him from the lions. They know about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into a fiery furnace and how God protected them from the flames. People have heard about the great image that King Nebuchadnezzar saw in a dream, but most see no relationship between that dream and their world today. How wrong 
they are. To properly understand Nebuchadnezzar's dream, we must first go to the end of Daniel's book. So let's begin in the 12th chapter. And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. But you go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Yes, my friends, the words of the book would be closed till the time of the end. And Daniel would have to rest, meaning be in his grave, until the end when he would be resurrected to life in the kingdom of God. Now clearly the time of the resurrection has not yet come. So how can we know when the time of the end of man's misrule on this earth is near? Consider the signs God reveals concerning the end of the age. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. And notice these two points. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. History shows us that the world went along for centuries with knowledge improving at a measured pace. New inventions came along, printing, paper, gunpowder, the steam engine. But until the 20th century, man moved about mostly by foot, by animal, and by wind power on water. Then came the first flight in a craft heavier than air, attributed to Wilbur and Orville Wright on December the 17th, 1903. Looking back, it was a humble beginning, lasting only 12 seconds and traveling only 120 feet, or about 40 meters. But less than 66 years later, man set foot on the moon, and common citizens were flying all over the earth in jet-powered commercial aircraft. Man's fund of knowledge has also increased down through time. But here once again, we have seen a dramatic increase in knowledge in recent years. Among other advances, the internet has brought people and ideas together in a way that our ancestors could never imagine. From time to time, a question about some event or fact will come up with those of us in the office. And if Jonathan is there, he will whip out his iPhone and in a matter of seconds, will have the answer for us. The array of information available to us at our fingertips is truly astounding. If we are stuck in traffic, there's Jonathan with his trusty device tapping into satellites, showing us the best way to detour around the problem. What better way to describe our world from past ages than what we read in Daniel 12, verse 4. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Sir Isaac Newton has been considered by some to be the greatest scientist who ever lived moreover, that may ever live. What many people today do not realize is that he was a man of great faith and belief in the Bible. Quoting Arthur B. Robinson in the foreword to Newton's republished work, he says the following, He read the Bible daily throughout his life and wrote over a million words of notes regarding his study of it. Isaac Newton believed that the Bible is literally true in every respect. Throughout his life, he continually tested biblical truth against the physical truths of experimental and theoretical science. He never observed a contradiction. In fact, he viewed his own scientific work as a method by which to reinforce belief in biblical truth. In spite of the large number of notes Newton made in his scientific approach to studying the Bible, 
He only wrote one book on the subject. In it, he admitted that the prophecies of Daniel, as well as the book of Revelation, could only be understood at the end of the age, long after his own life as time has shown. All which is as much as to say that these prophecies of Daniel and John should not be understood until the time of the end. Newton died nearly 300 years ago, and indeed a reading of his work demonstrates that although he was no doubt very sincere and highly intelligent, he did not understand Daniel or Revelation for the simple fact that it was not God's time for these prophecies to be fully understood. But even today when knowledge is increasing at lightning speed and many are running to and fro, few understand Bible prophecy. Why? Here's a simple answer from Daniel. Many shall be purified, made white, and refined. But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But the wise shall understand. The contrast here is between the wise and the wicked. An understanding is found in the balance. None of the wicked shall understand these prophecies, but the wise, meaning those who obey God, shall. As Psalm 111 and verse 10 explains to us, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. It is only those who keep God's commandments who will understand these amazing prophecies. Those who do not may have some limited understanding, but the full understanding and significance will only be comprehended by those who obey God. If you would like to discover more about how this topic impacts your life, visit us online at www.lcgcanada.org to read our featured literature free of charge. Now with that background, let us look at an amazing dream. One night the Chaldean king Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that troubled him greatly. He summoned all the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the wise men among the Chaldeans. As they stood before him, he made a most unusual, and some would say unreasonable, request. Here it is in the second chapter of the book of Daniel. I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king. Tell your servants a dream, and we will give the interpretation. The king answered, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. Therefore tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants a dream, and we will give its interpretation. But Nebuchadnezzar stood firm and accused them of stalling for time. He well understood that if they could not divine the dream itself, how could he trust that they really knew its interpretation? They could make up just about anything as modern astrologers and soothsayers do. So he explained, For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. What many people do not fully understand about this is that it truly was God who gave the king this dream, and it was God 
who used the king's seemingly unreasonable request to show us the significance of the dream. Only by the hand of God could it be interpreted. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. The king was furious, and he sent out the message to begin executing these advisors. It was only after the killing began that word came to Daniel what was happening. For reasons unknown, Daniel and his Jewish companions were not standing before the king when the above events took place. But they were among the king's advisors and were among those marked out for death. So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. Why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Yes, God revealed the dream, and just as importantly, the meaning to Daniel. Now, before going into the dream itself and the implications it has for us today, let us notice God's hand in world affairs. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His, and He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with Him. It is not the place of true Christians to remove or raise up kings and rulers. That is for God alone. The Apostle Paul instructs Christians to respect their leaders and to pray for those who have the rule over them. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. And also, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. That is what the Bible teaches, and that is what we here at Tomorrow's World teach. Now let's go back and see what happened when Daniel was brought before Nebuchadnezzar to reveal the dream and its interpretation. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. 
Note that the interpretation involves latter days. When the Bible used this type of expression, it almost always means at the end of the age. And we will see a little later from the interpretation that the fulfillment of the dream began with Nebuchadnezzar, but ends in the days ahead of us. So here's what the king saw. You, O king, were watching, and behold a great image. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, and the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. What could this possibly mean? Now, if it were left up to us to figure it all out, I'm sure there would be as many interpretations as there are people trying to explain it. But the God who inspired the dream does not leave us guessing. He tells us exactly what it means through his servant Daniel. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. Now, my friends, what is difficult to understand here? The Chaldean Empire, with its great king Nebuchadnezzar, is represented by the head of gold. So let's continue. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. To understand this, we need to know a bit of history. History tells us the Chaldean, or Babylonian Empire, was overthrown by the Medes and Persians in 539 BCE. Therefore, the chest and arms of the image symbolized the Medo-Persian Empire. They were in turn overthrown by the Greco-Macedonian Empire at the hands of Alexander the Great, which was represented by the bronze belly and thighs. Next came the mighty Roman Empire, the iron legs of the image. Now all these empires have come and gone, or have they? This fourth empire is not like the others. The feet of the image are a part of this fourth empire, and here is what we learn about them. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. In a few moments, we will see from the verses that follow
that this fourth empire will continue in one form or another all the way down to our time today and beyond. But first we must address the subject of the central figure of the Bible. Old Testament prophecies foretold the coming of a Messiah or Savior. The Jews expected the Messiah to fulfill all the prophecies about him in their day. But they failed to recognize that he would first come with a message and as a lamb to be sacrificed to pay the penalty for our sins. This was clearly predicted approximately 750 years in advance by the prophet Isaiah. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and by his stripes we are healed. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, by his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. That was how Jesus Christ came the first time. When he comes again, it will be to set up a kingdom and to rule. The beginning of one of Jesus' famous parables explains this, where he says, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. Now, Jesus clearly is the nobleman. The far country is heaven where he was to go to receive authority to set up a kingdom on this earth upon his return. Now let us get back to Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and we'll see a connection here. This fourth kingdom, the Roman Empire, would continue in one form or another all the way down to the time when Christ sets up his kingdom on this earth. From 554 A.D. until 1814, there were five restorations of the Roman Empire. Hitler and Mussolini formed the sixth, and Bible prophecy reveals that there will be one more. The book of Revelation shows us that ten kings or rulers will, in the near future, give their authority over to a powerful ruler in Europe, but they'll do so for a very short time. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. We are told that this alliance will actually fight against Christ at his return. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. These same ten horns of Revelation are the ten toes of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Daniel confirms their fate as we just saw in the book of Revelation. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Europe fought two terrible wars last century. 
Following World War II, some of its leaders put forward a vision to bring the nations together peacefully. Some envisioned an economic union only, while others looked at a more integrated union, a sort of United States of Europe. Several attempts have been made to bring about this greater integration. But as with iron and clay, they just don't stick together very well. The euro currency was introduced as a means of bringing about a truly united Europe. But what it has brought is trouble. Economically weaker states such as Greece, Spain, and Italy look to Germany to bail them out of their troubles. But Germans are understandably resistant unless or until changes take place in these and other troubled states. Is this current economic crisis going to be the catalyst for 10 of these nations to grudgingly give their power over to Germany when all else fails? Only time will tell, but the 10 toes of Nebuchadnezzar's dream will come together in Europe in the near future. And when this happens, there will be consequences for the rest of the world. The dream of European thinkers will look good at the beginning, but it will turn into an unthinkable nightmare. Only the return of Jesus Christ will stop the madness that will eventually ensue. Christ will then come back, smite the image on the feet and toes, and set up a glorious kingdom that will bring lasting peace and harmony to this troubled world. This, my friends, is the good news of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Now, if you'd like to learn more about Bible prophecy and what is ahead for the world and how it will affect you, go to our website, which will be shown momentarily, where you can read Prophecy Fulfilled, God's Hand in World Affairs. And be sure to come back next week at the same time and station when Richard Ames, Rodney King, and I will bring you more good news from the Bible about tomorrow's world when all will truly know the God of creation. See you next week, right here at the same time. If you would like to discover more about how this topic impacts your life, visit us online at www.lcgcanada.org to read our featured literature free of charge. The preceding program has been produced by the Living Church of God.